0: Hey, we've been doing a series called From Ordinary to Extraordinary. The last couple weeks, uh, as we be kicked off this new series, I reminded you that there are two things that every Christian must get right if they are going to ever do anything extraordinary for the Lord. The first one I reminded you from Romans chapter 12 is, you've got to learn what it means to die to self. By nature, each one of us are self-centered individuals, and if you don't die to self... You're going to continue to put off what God's plan is for your life and do your plan over and over and over. So you've got to learn the secret of dying to self daily, moment by moment. Then last week we talked about the second thing that I think every Christian absolutely must master if you're going to become extraordinary for the Lord in any way. And that's the fear of God. If you don't truly fear God, If you don't put him before everything else, there's a lot of other voices, a lot of other influences that will come into your life and say, this is important, that's important, do this, do that. But you've got to have, first and foremost, a fear of God. And what I told you was that we would launch into a series going forward where we would take a look at specific things in your life that could change. Now, let's define ordinary. Ordinary is who you are. Ordinary is who all your friends know you as. Ordinary is who your family describes you as. That's the ordinary you. What we're talking about is doing something extraordinary, something that's different than what you would normally do. If it's normal, if it's ordinary, then that doesn't give any glory to God. We sang earlier that we want to see God glorified. And I was standing right over here when we sang that. So all of you behind me, I could hear you. You were singing. We want to see you glorified. If you truly want to see God glorified, it's going to come through you doing something that ordinarily you would never do. And the people that watch around you look at you and they say, that guy, that gal, they would never do that ordinarily. That's extraordinary. That's different. And that's how we glorify God with our life. It doesn't come naturally to us. It's supernatural. It's extraordinary. Marianne? Could you come up here? And Greg, can I switch over to this? I know. Marianne and I uh, last night had an opportunity to chat. And just in the course of conversation, she was sharing something from her life that spoke into my life. And I want to share it with you guys because she was listening to these sermons, she's been listening to what God's been saying into her heart, and she responded.
1: Now you're going to
0: do this. Which is even better because you know it's coming from her heart. So, this isn't something we rehearse. This is, this is just life, but it's extraordinary life. And so, some of you may not know, but uh, Marianne sells Brinks home security systems. So, if you need a Brinks home security system, she's your gal. But essentially, what she does, she goes around every day and meets with people who either are afraid of being broken into or have just been broken into and are feeling pretty insecure. Is that right? So she goes around and meets with people in in their homes. And in the course of doing that, we were talking about her cross. Marianne has a beautiful cross that she wears. And she was mentioning that oftentimes people see that cross. And what kind of response do you get?
1: Uh, They ask me where I go to church or, you know, about uh, my faith.
0: Okay. And if I remember the story right, you met with a gal, Filipino gal, who had had her home.
1: Her boyfriend, her live-in boyfriend, who was in jail at the time, had beaten her up really done bad things and he was temporarily in jail. There were stab marks in the walls and broken mirrors and things and she um, wanted a security system and yet she wouldn't sit and talk with me. Um, She was having her daughter, a young daughter, sit there and she was making excuses not to listen to me but I couldn't, I made her come sit with me uh, so that she could decide whether she wanted one or not. And should I just keep on, just tell the story? Sure, tell okay. You're doing great. <laughs> and um, in the course, very, in the early part of the appointment, I just needed to let her know there's a few things that, you know, there, it's a, there's an agreement that's involved, it's a three-year agreement, blah, blah, blah. And she said, oh, well, I'm going to try to sell my home before he gets out of jail. So check that. It's looking more like a non-opportunity to me. And then uh, I decided I would take the next step, well, um, If we go forward we've got ways to get you out of this house and put you into the next situation but we're gonna have to do a credit check oh she said he's destroyed my credit I'm gonna file bankruptcy tomorrow Um, I just don't have a way to do anything she was distraught and I said you know honestly I don't think God had me here for you today I I I think he asked me to come here because this morning it was struck me that there was something different about today Um, So you're my first appointment. And so I just... Her daughter was here, and she was over there, and I just said, He wants me to tell you that you're going to be okay. You don't need this security system. He's your security. You need to know that he loves you, and he loves you, and your daughter's She was pregnant, 19. In two months, she's going to have twins. And she was so stressed out, this poor girl. And I just... Had I mean, God just said, I'm going to take care of those two. Um, that's that's what you need to do today. And this woman sitting across from me, she, she put her hands to her face and she said, Oh, I'm so happy God told me he was going to send me someone today that would reassure me. And so it doesn't happen very often, but when it does, we... I cry, and it, I'm just so glad. That day was a wonderful day.
0: Yeah. Okay, and then after that, you, you invited her to come to church. Right. She was going to, to come to church with us last week, and um, you also invited her to come on Sunday night. And just tell us about how you followed up with that relationship.
1: Well, I tried to call her. I, I did call and leave a message for her on Saturday and make sure she's coming. And um, she didn't make it to church. I can't remember why, but she wanted the prayer meeting. She wanted to come to that. I called followed up with her twice before even has left messages for and she called me on Sunday said she's coming she's coming she's coming so I felt real comfortable with that. She didn't show up. Um, and so she called me while I was in prayer meeting and she said my car won't start and I said just keep trying. I, I get here some way. Um, she called me a few minutes later and she said um, it was the ga- I had no gas and I've, I'm now at the gas station. And my ATM card won't work. And this is about, what, 5.30. Uh, 5.30 and the prayer meeting had already started and so forth. I just felt like that's the enemy. That is the absolute, that's the enemy trying to shut her down. She doesn't need to be there. And I'm not making her, I'm not allowing her to go. So thank goodness for Ann Axtell and Lori Shin, who went with me. We just got up and that's where we spent our prayer meeting is praying with her. We went to her house. And prayed with her. Um, I've not been able to get in touch with her since, but maybe that's all God wanted to use us for. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Thank you, Marianne, for sharing that story with us this morning. You know, I, I asked Marianne if she would share that with us because, uh, you know, it came up in the conversation last night. I wasn't trolling for stories about extraordinary things and but that's what i'm talking about when i say extraordinary that's not normal i don't know when you go to work if you're thinking about how you could minister to the people marianne's job is to sell brink's home security systems you know it's not to make five follow-up phone calls just so that you can drive all the way across town to go pray with somebody who you can't even get in touch with and you're not even sure if they really want you in their life that much in the first place but she had a burden on her heart for these people God placed her in that position where she could minister. She had the opportunity. And she said, I'm going to do the selfless thing instead of the selfish thing. And I think so often that's what it comes down to. Dying to self, living for Christ, fearing God more than fearing man and saying, I'm going to do this thing to build God's kingdom. And I think, Marianne, that's a great expression of an extraordinary day, extraordinary couple of days that you spent doing God's work. And that's what we're talking about. Doing something extraordinary for God. Is your life extraordinary or is your life ordinary? There's been a lot of focus lately in the the news, in the media, in the newspapers on money. You probably picked up on that. This is not the best year we've had in America. It's been a pretty tumultuous year actually. And as you look at the, the status of the average person in America, I'm probably more attuned to this than the average person because my wife does Financial Peace University, and so we're always, you know, checking in with folks. Where are you at with your finances? It's quite common these days for people to have between five dollars and $30,000 in credit cards. Did you realize that? Most people have more than one credit card. Some of you guys are shaking your heads because it's you. Many of us have home loans that we pay mortgage payments on between two and seven hundred thousand dollars, right here in this congregation. Student loans. A lot of people do student loans now. It's tough to get through school, especially if you go on and on. You get a, a you know graduate degree, post grad. It can get very expensive. You can have upwards of fifty, hundred thousand dollars in student loans. Car payments. Many of the people that sit here in this congregation owe money on their car every month. You write a check, you send off a payment for your car. Uh, most, Most Americans have little saved up for retirement. It's not enough to retire. They're counting on things like Social Security, which may not even exist by the time they get there. Most of us have very little savings. We don't save very much of our money. If something did go very wrong, we would have to borrow more money to pay for it. We don't actually have that money in savings. And so if you look at the world that we live in here as Americans... We're not doing very good when it comes to money. In fact, if I could just say, the ordinary average American is struggling to manage their money well. Ordinary is broke. And I read in 1 Timothy 6.10 these words. The love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And it makes me think about us as God's people, as God's church. How do we deal with our money? How do you do it, deal with your money? Is it ordinary? Just the ordinary old American way? You spend, you spend, you spend. You got all kinds of stuff that you can't afford. You'd like to get a little bit more stuff that you can't afford, but you can't afford to think about that right now, so you'll think about it later. You have no savings. That's ordinary. And that's where most of us in the church are at today. We're not managing our money very well. But yet, when I look at our country, especially when I look out at you today, we are some of the richest people on planet Earth. You could go all around this globe, and you could visit country after country, and you'd be hard-pressed to find very many people that live at the standard that you live at, that make as much money as you make. You might be sitting there and comparing yourself to your neighbor and you say, I'm not rich. But you are. We're all rich, each one of us here. We live better than kings used to live. Air conditioning, heater, not plumbing. Who could live without plumbing? We have so much. You hop in a car, you can drive to Tahoe just in an afternoon. I mean, the luxuries that, that we enjoy. And it's easy to forget that 95% of the rest of this world doesn't have what you have. So when you hear the words that I say today, and I'm going to look at what God's Word says about how to be extraordinary with your money, you need to remember that you are rich, you're wealthy, very wealthy, in fact, by the world's standard, by the standard of history. And as I read in 1 Timothy six ten, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And I think of the evils that have been caused because people love money. I just want to list a few. This is not all of them. Greed, materialism, racism, hatred, slavery, war, poverty, slander, envy, manipulation, greed, hedonism. We could go on and on. Those are all things that exist in our world in large part because people love money. And their love of money drives them to do things that are just flat out wrong. You see... The way that we handle our money as the church says a lot to our world about our God. If we treat money in the ordinary way, the way your neighbors do, the way those outside of the church do, then we say that our God is not able to make a difference in a person's life. Our God is not able to deal with things like greed, materialism, racism, hatred. But yet we believe the Bible tells us that our God is able He's more than able to help each one of us become extraordinary and to do something different, something the world's not used to, something the world never sees, to transcend, to be extraordinary. And I think to myself, wouldn't it be extraordinary if we, one little church in this big world of ours, could be extraordinary with our money, with the way that we treat our finances, our personal finances? You might be sitting here this morning and you say to yourself he's not talking to me i don't love money i love the lord i love my family love my job my kids but i don't love money let me give you a litmus test a way that you can measure how much you love money it's this simple how do you feel about giving your money away how do you feel about giving your money away when we pass that basket around is that something that you look forward to or is it something you kind of dread? When somebody sends you a letter that says, hey, I'm going on a mission trip, I want to go to a faraway place to tell people about Jesus, and you go, oh, man, I'm going to see that person at church. I don't want to give money. Do you enjoy giving away your money or is it something that you dread? You see, how you feel about giving away your money tells you a lot about how you feel about keeping and spending money. I want to look at three texts from the scriptures this morning. Each one of these, I believe, reveals to us a little bit of God's heart on how we should view our money and how God is glorified through the way that we use our money, the way that we spend our money. The first one is Mark chapter 10, 17 to 24. This is a familiar passage to many of you. I'm going to read the passage and point out a couple of things. We're going to get one principle out of each pa- uh, passage this morning. And then at the end, I want to challenge each one of us. What would it look like for you to become extraordinary instead of ordinary in the area of your finances? So Matthew chapter 10, verse 17 says this. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all of these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go and sell everything you have and give it to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. We'll stop there this morning. I want you to notice in verse 21, it says that Jesus looked at this man and loved him. He was wealthy but he was a good man. He had done a lot of things well in life. And he came to Jesus and he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, not only do you need to do all those good things you've done, but you need to take all your possessions and sell it and give it to the poor. You know, love is truthful. Sometimes it hurts to hear the truth, but sometimes it's the most loving thing. Jesus loved him too much to say, you know, if I tell him that he has to sell everything, give it to the poor, he might actually leave, and we might not be able to have a conversation again, and I need to ease him into this. Jesus didn't do that. He said, I love this man enough to tell him that one thing that he's lacking. He cannot inherit eternal, eternal life because he doesn't love me more than he loves his money. He loves his money more than he loves God. And because of that, we can't have relationship. He already has a master. His master is called money he tells him to sell everything you know this guy didn't really want eternal life i really believe this guy wanted to prove to jesus how good he was he wanted an attaboy he wanted jesus to affirm that he was good enough to get into heaven on his own merits and jesus simply would not do that and so he says to this man go and sell everything that you have and then come and follow me You know, you cannot be a follower of God if you love your money more than God. The truth that he's passing on to this rich young ruler hasn't changed. God didn't change his mind after that. God will not share the sole place in your life of Lord with your money, with your finances, with your possessions. And all of us are wealthy. We established that at the outset. By the world's standards, we're wealthy. If you look at the quality of life that you live and you were to go back in time and compare it to this man who stood before Jesus that day, you've got a better life than he had. You've got more stuff. You've got more fancy stuff anyway, more creature comforts. And I think God would say to each one of us this morning, if you love your stuff more than you love me, you can't follow me because you're too busy following another master already. If you want to follow me, you've got to put that at least second, third, fourth, but it can't be first. I have to come first. If you put God first, then you can worship him and you can follow him. That's the the first principle is love tells the truth. And the truth is that if you love your stuff more than you love Jesus, you will not be able to follow him. That's the first truth I want to point out. Now we're going to flip over to Luke chapter 12, 15 to 21. Luke 12:15 to 21 It says, and then he said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them this parable Jesus shares a parable with him, and he says, the ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. And then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all of my grain and my goods. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself but is not rich towards God. So here this man has a lot of prosperity. Things are going well. And he says, how can I fit all the stuff that I have in the barns? He says, it won't fit. But I know what I'll do. I'll tear down the barns, build even bigger barns. I'll put so much stuff in there. I will really not have to work anymore. I can just eat, drink, and be merry. No worries. Jesus tells this parable of this man. And then he says, what's this man going to do when it's all demanded from him? When he dies. You think about that. How able are you to protect yourself from getting in a wreck on the highway next time you get on? Driving down the highway, people are driving crazy all around. How able are you to protect your life when you drive down the highway. Are you sure that you're never gonna get in an accident and lose your life? I'm not. In fact, I think about it all the time. I think, good Lord, I could die today just driving on the, you know, out to Roseville. It's dangerous. You can't protect your life. You can't even protect your stuff. You know, a couple years ago, our, several of us went to Bay St. Louis, Mississippi to do mud outs because Hurricane her Katrina had come in and just wiped everything out, and gooey mud went throughout all these houses, and houses were filled all the way up to the rooftops with gooey, muddy water. And we got to go in there, and you go into these people's houses, and they weren't even there, but you're in every room in their house, taking all the stuff and throwing it out in the front yard. And we'd go in there, and they'd be like, these people would have nice stuff. I mean, they were living right on the ocean. Some of these houses were, were nice houses. And we're taking all their stuff out, and you realize they didn't save anything. You start pulling out drawers out of, you know, dressers and stuff, and they've got, like, all their family photos, all the all the things that you'd want to take out if something was happening, and it was all there. They lost it all. And it wasn't just, I mean, we threw out TVs and, you know, expensive electronic stuff. But the thing that amazed me most was throwing out people's, you know, old school work from when they were in kindergarten and all this, the, the memories and all the stuff that was so valuable. And I think, insurance companies can't protect you from that. You can't buy new, you know, my kindergarten spelling book. You can't buy new pictures of you and your mom when you were born. Those things are gone forever. And I think about this guy and I think, how foolish it is of us to think that because we have insurance, a good income, A good 401k that somehow we can ensure that everything will be all right and Jesus reminds us here that he's the only one who can truly take care of you anyway it's not your money if you worship your money you're worshiping a false god that has no power to take care of you when things go really bad and you're going to be in bad shape came across a poem says money can buy a house but not a home money can buy a bed but not sleep money can buy a clock but not time. Money can buy a book, but not knowledge. Money can buy food, but not an appetite. Money can buy position, but not respect. Money can buy blood, but not life. Money can buy insurance, but not safety. You Think about that. Money's not worth so much after all. The things that are truly important in life, you can only get one place. And that's in right relationship with God. So principle number two, a love relationship with God is worth far more than money and possessions, because it lasts forever. Nobody can snatch away from you the comfort, the blessing that God and God alone gives. Last passage I want to look at is Matthew chapter 6, 19 to 24. Matthew 6:19 to 24. Here, Jesus is speaking again, and he says, "'Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth "'where moth and rust destroy "'and where thieves break in and steal. "'But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven "'where moth and rust do not destroy "'and where thieves do not break in and steal. "'For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. "'The eye is the lamp of the body. "'If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. "'But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness.' If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness. Verse 24, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. For some reason, American Christians don't believe that that's true. We think that we can serve God and money at the same time. I don't know where we got that idea, Because the text couldn't be more clear. It says emphatically, you cannot serve both God and money. Not you should not. Not it probably won't work. It says it's not possible to do both. And it's not possible because God won't share himself with another God. And if you serve money, you cannot serve God. He won't allow that to happen. He won't share with another master. He wants to be your all in all. Verse 21 reminds us that where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So I ask you, how much do you value God? We sing sometimes, the Lord is my treasure. We say that God is our treasure. A little while ago we did a worship series and I reminded you that worship means worthship or assigning worth to God. The way that you live your life assigns worth to Him. How much is God worth to you? Well, how much of your life... Does he have access to? How many sacrifices are you willing to make for him to be in the center of your life? That's worship. Worship isn't just what we're doing here on Sunday morning. Worship happens all week long by the decisions that you make and how much worth you give God in your life. Sure, you can sing it with your mouth. You can proclaim it. You can pray. But worship is however you show God how much he's worth, how much he's central to your life. And one of the ways that we worship God is our giving of our money. That's why we do it on Sunday morning. We could just set up a box somewhere, you know, at the church office, or you, know, you could just mail it. And there's other ways we could do the offering. We do the offering on Sunday morning because it's a reminder, it's part of the way we worship God. It's a part of the way that we show God how much He's worth to us by the way we give. Principle number three, the best way to know if you love God if you're able to part with your money. If you can't part with your money, then you love it more than you love God. I don't know any way to, to, to candy coat that for you. If you can't give up your money to build God's kingdom, to serve God, then you love your money more than you love God. And you got a real conversation you need to have with your Creator. God wants all of you. God wants you to give all that you are to, to Him so that He can bless you that He can use you. And that little poem I read, all those things that we all long for, the security, the health, the joy, and the happiness, the house, the car, the good night's rest, all those things are things that God is more than able to provide for you. He is able if you'll follow Him. You know, the Bible has a lot to say about money, and we could have gone through a lot of different passages, and I, I pretty much committed that at least once a year at Rest Life, I'm going to talk about money, is that important. Probably important enough we should do it more than that, but at least once a year. The Bible has a lot to say about money, but this morning I just want to focus in on this truth. God has called you to live an extraordinary life. A life where you handle your money differently than you would if God was not in your life. A life where you don't see your money as your money, but God's money. And I, you know... For those of you who know Pastor Mark, I've known him for almost a decade now. And I've seen several times where Mark and I have had a conversation. And he's upset about somebody was trying to take advantage of him in terms of finances. And he says, I'm not. They're, they're trying to steal the Lord's money. Now, he's talking about the money that's in a bank account that says Mark Prescott. He's not talking about the church's money. But Mark has this, this mentality that his money all belongs to the Lord. And he manages it. And as a manager of that money, if somebody's trying to rip off Mark, they're really stealing from the Lord. And if Mark is frugal, if he doesn't manage his money well, rather, if he, if he goes out and spends money that he shouldn't spend, he's wasting the Lord's money. It's not Mark's money to waste. It's God's money. And so he sees everything he does as part of stewarding over the money that God gave him. Is that an accurate depiction of the finances of Mark? <laughs> Um, and we've had lots of conversations about that. And I love that about Mark because it's been encouraging to help me to remember that's true in my life as well, and so I pass that on to you. You are a steward of all that God has given you. When we give to the Lord, when we give to the church, when we give to somebody who's going out in the mission field, we're not giving our money to the Lord's work. We're saying, Lord, you gave me this money. You blessed me with this. I want to give it to your work. I want to give it back to, the, to you. I want to be a good steward of it. When we go out and we buy a new car, you're spending God's money. That's the money that God gave you. And you need to be aware of how you steward over that money. If you go and you buy something that you really shouldn't buy, you really can't afford, and it's going to take away an opportunity for you to do something that God called you to do later, it's not good stewardship. You need to get that reined in. Now, you might be sitting here this morning and you go, okay, I'm feeling convicted. I got debt. You know, I got... That's why Nicole's doing this class, Financial Peace University. Because you don't have to be stuck at ordinary. You might be doing it the ordinary way. You might be spending your money as if it's your money. But God has given you an opportunity to get out of the ordinary and become extraordinary. You can learn to manage your money in a way that honors God. We can teach you how. Sign up for the next class. Right, Nick? We've had a lot of people go through there. But we want every person at this church to be extraordinary with their money, not so the church can have more money. By God's grace, we've we've never been in need here at Rest Life. We've always been able to pay every bill that we've had. It's not about us getting more money. It's about you and your relationship with your creator. If you don't put him number one and you put your money first, you're never going to be a Christ follower the way that he created you you're not going to make a difference in the world around you and everybody who knows you is going to be robbed of an opportunity to see that god is alive that he's powerful and that he's good all they're going to see is that you have a good job you have nice stuff they're not going to give glory to god for it they're just going to be envious of you i want to close by reminding you that scriptures say god loves a cheerful giver how much money should you give the Bible doesn't really answer that. There's a good principle in the Bible, the principle of the tithe, that you give 10% of all that you make goes to the Lord first and foremost. I think it's a great principle. But to be totally honest, I don't, I don't think the New Testament demands that Christ's followers give a tenth of their income. But it does say that you should give sacrificially, that you should give cheerfully, that you should give to the Lord's work regularly. And so here at Rest Life, with all of our leaders, the staff, Pastor Mark, Nicole and I, Greg and Robin, all of our team leaders, we require that everybody who's at leadership in this church give at least a 10% tithe as a standard. Because we believe that if we don't model that, if we don't live it out, then there's no way we can pass it on. We've got to live it before we can teach it. And so everybody that's in leadership at this church does that. Now, we do that. Because of the principles that are laid down in those three passages I read today. i will to read them for you again. Love tells the truth. And the truth is if you love your stuff more than you love Jesus, you will not be able to follow him. Principle two, a love relationship with God is worth far more mo- than money and possessions because it lasts forever. And principle three, the best way to know that if you love God is if you're able to part with your money. So that's a great reminder. I don't know about you, but if, if you've ever practiced tithing, giving 10%, it's a pretty significant check you have to write. You feel it. It's not like, you know, you reach into your pocket, and you got a couple dollars left from the last trip to Starbucks, and you drop them in there. You don't really feel that so much. About You know, by the end of that day, you kind of forgot you had that money anyway. But when you do 10%, you feel it. And you sometimes are tempted to think, wow, all the things I could buy if I had that money. And usually that temptation comes about the time you get our annual giving report. You know, we mail those to you. And it has the total for the year. And you look at the total number and you go, wow, I could have bought a new car. I could have bought this. I could have bought that. It's a sacrifice to give 10%. And that's essentially why we require all of our leaders to do it. We want everybody who is a follower of Jesus Christ to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God is number one not their money and if you're not willing to part with your money to build God's kingdom you still haven't learned that lesson and you may in fact be deceiving yourself to thinking that God is number one in your life and he's not number two maybe number three and your money your stuff is number one I'll tell you the most freeing thing that Nicole and I have ever gotten to do and we've gotten to do it more than once but when we moved overseas we couldn't take all of our stuff with us. We couldn't afford to. And we were moving to the other side of the world. So we had a big garage sale. We put a for sale sign on everything. And people came and they paid us pennies on the dollar for what everything was worth. And it was gone. And we had a little measly check, you know, 1500 bucks or something. You don't get much for garage sale stuff. And that was all we had on this earth as far as phys- you know, physical possessions, material stuff bucks. In fact, when we moved to Dallas for the first time, remember we drove out there and we had $1,000 and no debt, no place to live, no jobs, and we are starting grad school. You say, here we are. We got nothing. And I'll tell you, you would think that would be scary. It wasn't scary at all. In fact, it was delightful. Because we knew that the most important thing of all was that we were in God's will and that God could provide for all of our needs. And as a result, we were free to just move to the other side of the world to go wherever God would have us go. And we didn't have a bunch of possessions to be in love with. We only had our Jesus. I think that's one of the most wonderful things we've ever gotten. We might need to have a garage sale. Do that again. I've got way too much stuff now. But I challenge each one of you in the area of your finances to think extraordinary. The ordinary way of doing things is to be broke, to have more stuff than you can afford and to make no difference for the kingdom of God. The extraordinary way that God would point out to each one of us is that we would give sacrificially, we would give joyfully, we would give regularly, and that everyone who knows us would look at how we spend our money and our generosity, and they would say, that God that they serve, those Christians serve, is a good God. And those people that serve Him do good things. I would long for the day when the church in this city have that kind of a reputation I'm afraid we're not there yet and we're never going to get there until each one of us steps up and does our part let us pray Heavenly Father I thank you this morning for an opportunity once again to be reminded that each one of us when we were called to be your children were called into a life, an extraordinary life and that Lord none of us who sit here this morning have got it all figured out none of us have got it right But, Lord, your word continues to sharpen our thinking, It continues to challenge us, our emotions, our affections. And, Lord, I pray that you would give each one of us the faith to align ourselves with your truth, the faith to believe that if we give up our first love, our love of money and things, we'll be better off than we are now. And, Lord, I pray that you'll continue to bless this church, this community, Lord, in tough economic times, Lord, I pray for all who need jobs, who need income, who are feeling that pinch. Lord, I pray that you would provide for each one. Remind us, Lord, once again, that you are the provider. You provide jobs and you take them away. And Lord, I pray for each one who has an income right now, has enough money to live on, to buy all the things they need, and yet is still in debt. Lord, would you help us to not be people who are ordinary, debt-carrying up to our eyeballs, but Lord, help us to transcend that and become extraordinary, to become debt free, able to bless others, able to build your kingdom, and to do it with joy.
1: Lord, I pray these things in Jesus' name.